You're listening to Object As, a six-part series from the American Craft Podcast supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen or visit craftcouncil.org. To find out more about how National Endowment for the Arts grants impacts individuals and communities, visit www.arts.gov. Objects fashioned by craft artists can do more than appeal to the eye and hand. They can speak to our cultural, political, environmental, and social climates. They can comment on today's issues, inspire conversations. They can be acts of rebellion. That's the point of the Object As project, for which six artists were chosen by six curators to create works that speak subtly, directly, intimately, publicly about issues that matter to them. On this episode, we're featuring Detroit-based artist Ebetenyefa Berlaye, whose work explores cultural, spiritual, and material translations of forms and objects, texts and symbols through a diaspora lens. Good morning. Uh, so I heard that your object had, like, one of them had an issue in the kiln or something. Or what happened to your first object? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we, when we first had our conversation, um, it was about a piece that I dubbed Church Lady um, that I was that I was actually making, working on while I was in Rhode Island, um, doing a, work, well, a demonstration and, and a lecture while there. And it ended up, um, they were... Mad, they were like surprisingly able to put it into a wood firing that was happening. I think it was the very next day. Oh, you know? okay. But it was a, it's a it was a small it was like a um, a very slow firing, so the piece would have had time to dry out and then kind of slowly kind of ramp up because it was also somewhat thick too. And um, it survived the firing. I mean, it had a little you know a little warping. Yeah, yeah, but um, a, a student picked it up. Um, at, at like a certain point where it was unstable and it and it broke and it fell well, it fell from their hands and oh. it broke um, so but that I was simply I mean the 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 life and the energy behind that work was really about the demo it being fired um, was just like a, a, a you know a bonus as far as I yeah. was concerned so I, I, I'll take a dramatic end you know <laughs> I mean that's cool that it did make. Um survived the wood firing i learned so much about wood firing by living at penland because i hung around the wood fire a lot because it's such a community thing where you stay up all night and etc yeah it's fun it's fun it is such an investment though like you kind of with the wood firing you you almost want to you you want to know the kiln enough to know that you're gonna get a good firing yeah because it's so, so much like fuel so much work that has to be made so much work that goes into getting it set up um but it's a very communal process and definitely mm-hmm. brings people together and it's really satisfying when you pull the work out and everything looks great yeah if that's the case yeah and i love i love the days that that happens because the work is all kind of like sprawled out maybe on grass maybe on tables but you get to see it oh, yeah. and it's it's adventure seeing all over again yeah yeah well, good morning. Um, so I'm very excited to have our conversation today. Can you please say your full name for listeners and your pronouns? Sure. My full name is Ebitenye Fabaralaye and my pronouns are he, him. 
And Ebitanyeva, where do you currently reside and what is your current occupation? I live in Detroit, Michigan, and I am an artist as well as an assistant professor and the section head of ceramics at the College for Creative Studies. How how long have you been at the college? Uh, just over three years now. Yeah, so January 1st was my three-year anniversary, so... Yeah, I'm yeah. going on year four now. It's it's it. It feels short. It's starting to feel a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. Had you lived in that area? Did you ever study in that area before in Detroit? I did. Well, not in Detroit proper. So I first came to Michigan um, in 2014 to attend graduate school at the Cranbrook Academy of Art. Mm. And um, before I moved over here, I was just doing some research on on Detroit, and the more I learned about the city. Um, even before I had gotten here and the, even more I learned about it after I moved um, to Michigan. So Cranbrook is in um, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, which is about mm-hmm. 30 minutes um, northwest of, of Detroit. But the, but the more I learned about the city, the more I spent time in Michigan and would come down to Detroit to go to art shows, to go to church, to you know connect with friends, the more I, I kind of felt drawn to being here. So I lived here for a summer in between my first and second year of graduate school. And that was a great summer. I lived in Mexico town. Um, yeah. In Detroit. And it was, and worked for a startup and also did a residency um, at a Detroit uh, studio called talk. Well, no, um, what was it? I uh, know. Talking dolls. Yeah. Talking dolls. <laughs> talking dolls. That's what it's called. Okay. Uh, talking dolls. Yeah. Talking dolls. Okay. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Was it based around ceramics or what was the kind of premise of it? No, no. It was like a, it's an open studio, um, you know, started by a number of individuals. Um, I think conversations that specifically started between myself and um, uh, Wes Taylor, another Cranbrook alum. And um, they had a residency program that was open to like Cranbrook students specifically. Okay. Um, for the summer in between their first and second year, that I participated in that, and it was just it was just great because like there were, you know, designers, artists, there were community organizers there, um, there were businesses there. There's a screen printing business there. It was it was a great place for me as an artist to just really connect with a lot of creatives in the city. Yeah, and keep you focused over the summer, or maybe excited to continue on. Um, I've never been to Cranbrook, but I have heard a lot of things about it and I have seen pictures and kind of reminds me a little of, oh gosh, I'm going to totally make myself sound like a nerd, but Hogwarts a little bit where it's like these beautiful (laughs) architecture, a lot of stone kind of out there. You're shaking your head like, "Mm -hmm, yep, heard it. (laughs) Sorry. I had to say it. I guess I guess the spells we're casting are our work, you know, <laughs> just like like Spellaramus, and we have a yes, so <laughs> a there it is. Of... You watched it, I know, I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's there has to be something. I have not been to Detroit, and I'm really excited to go and visit sometime. I've had good friends live there and work there, and it sounds like such a place that artists still have the capability of buying buildings. Um, one artist I greatly admire and follow, Tiff Massey, I feel like she just mm-hmm. bought a building and is going to turn it into studio spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you're currently working on outside of your like studio practice in school, like in the community? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess my, my biggest community project has been mm-hmm. the home I purchased, the home I'm currently in. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Nice. Right, right, right. Now I live now on the east side of Detroit, a, a, a little neighborhood called 
Yorkshire Woods, which is just before you hit Harper Woods and right above, um, uh, right above um, Gross Point. Um, it's right ab above the neighborhood of East English Village, which more people might be familiar with. I say Yorkshire Woods and people aren't sure where, the, where, where that is. Mm. But it's a pretty modest, you know, um, you know working class community, um, small home. It's, it was built in 1947. But you're absolutely right. You know, I couldn't have been able to afford doing this, you know, owning a home yeah. pretty much or, you know, easily um, in, in many other places, at least no other places that um, I was aware of or felt compelled to kind of live in and be excited to live in. Um, so to be able to be here, to be able to work as a professor, to be able to be an artist in a city that I truly find um, interesting, that has both a, um, a past that I feel very invested in as well as a future that I want to be a part of, um, yeah. and as well as community of other artists and creatives that I want to engage with, is, which has been great. But um, I guess there are two parts to this. A, getting to know my neighbors and getting to know my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, you, you got to put your time in. You got to, <laughs> it takes time mm -hmm. to get to know people and to, and to you know, uh, I guess connect with the community. And B, um, the, the, the home is in good shape, but there's things that I want to do. So I've been in the process of, you know, doing some demolition. and I was like gutting some rooms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then um, I have a studio in the basement. So I've okay. been in the process of just kind of setting that up as a place for place for me to work. So, yeah, that's my other big project outside of everything I'm doing. Um, yeah. I guess just in my art practice as well. It's just at school. Yeah, not much. You sounds like you're the kind of person that has a lot of free time on their hands. No big deal. Yeah, right. Yeah. joking well speaking <laughs> yeah. of community the um curator and forgive me if i do not pronounce his last name correctly andrew blavelt is it blavelt yeah, yeah it's good um so you have been you were chosen by andrew to be part of this object as process or project where you were commissioned to create a piece of your choice um that is you know the intention behind the piece is to spark conversations or bring attention to et cetera, as objects do um can you share with also did you know andrew prior to him putting your name up for this yeah oh yeah yeah so andrew had become the the director um of the museum if i recall correctly um about a year into my time at cranbrook so okay. i got to see his lecture um well i guess i guess to see him around campus um and then, and then he um, helped my year navigate the, I guess our our, our, our second year exhibition, the thesis exhibition, essentially. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, I got to I got to I got to be like I guess see him around um, uh, Cranbrook and and uh, not not I guess not uh, not necessarily casually you know speak with him, but mm -hmm. just kind of be connected with him um, yeah. over the course of that year. And I just I mean I was I was really glad that um, as, as somebody who's an alum um, yeah. and was coming with a lot of museum experience, he was both deeply invested um, in the history and the legacy of Cranbrook, as well as some, um, you know, just kind of full of ideas and how to move and bring the museum forward. So I was, I was really glad um, that, that, that he had come on board and very flattered um, when I was chosen for this project by him. Yeah. And I don't know if we said it for listeners, but he is the... Um director or head curator yeah i believe he's the director of the museum director of the museum okay and so let's get to the object that you made mm -hmm. 
it is, can you share with listeners the title of the object that you made and a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah. It's titled All My Relation. I think I've, I think I've added a one because it might become a series. Making the first one really got me interested in, in um, sort of developing this out more into um, a, a full body of work. But I guess I can I can describe it um, physically for for you all. So yeah, and um, also sorry uh, to interrupt real quick, but listeners, there is going to be a description of the podcast and a link within the description so that you can just click on and take a quick peek at the um, piece while we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's about I'm trying to remember the dimensions. It's about maybe twenty eight or so inches, a little over two feet tall, and then probably like eighteen or twenty inches um, in the round, and it's shaped. Um, as a as a as a vessel, um, the piece being inst- inspired by David Drake's pottery. Well, being inspired actually really originally going back to my um, I guess an interest that I developed in in uh, face jugs made by enslaved potters. Um, that kind of stemmed maybe about a year and a half ago. I was looking at some pottery work um, by enslaved potters and just kind of looking at these face jugs. Um, and thinking about what it meant uh, for those potters to sort of represent uh, the human gaze through through ceramics, and um, it led me to create, um, I guess, what I, what's called Portrait One. So it was my kind of like first um, uh, a reference to this idea of of, of the face jug. Um, so the piece that I've created for Object As it actually is a wheel thrown. It's it's, it's coil built, um, coil building. Um, it's a ceramic process. Um, both in making of sculptural work as well as um, functional work. Um, so traditionally, it would have been made for making, it would have been done in the making of, you know, like, you know, vessels um, or, 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 or pots. And every, every artist kind of brings this, and every culture brings a certain kind of um, particularity to the way in which um, they approach it, it, it as a technique in addition to the different types of clays that are being used. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a coil-built form rather than a wheel-thrown um, form. Um, and it's 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 shaped um, almost in sort of like like the 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 Ken, the what was it the Ken Nation jar. Um, so I'm thinking specifically of the jar um, that the um, Fine Arts Museum um, in the Bay Area acquired um, of uh, of from I guess of David Drake's work. It has this kind of like swelling kind of maping style shape. Yeah, like taller, and, uh, larger at the bottom top and then narrows to the base exactly yeah, okay. exactly it kind of starts a little narrow and then it kind of blossoms um out and then it kind of ends off in a little in a little bit of a top um but what makes it distinct is that it kind of bars that shape um as well as kind of taking on the vocabulary of the face jug but instead of all the features of a face being collected in one area um yeah. uh, kind of dispersed various facial features going all the way in the round um, of the jug and the whole thing is glazed in like a satin black um, glaze. Yeah. Yeah. And the texture of it, I mean, when you say coil, for those who might not understand what that is, it looks like you piled coils of clay up. I know it sounds silly to like describe it like that, but it yeah. does kind of give this texture to it that is very distinct. Yeah. No, it does. It does. I mean, I think about that and think about how. Um, that works metaphorically, this kind of building up or this layering. Um, I think of almost like a generational layering. Um, that's a part of you know what I'm you know meditating on and contemplating um, through this particular piece. It you know it becomes a series uh, through that as well. 
um, you know, those who have come before me and being sort of a part of a, of, of a lineage. But yeah, in the act of coil building, you're literally taking a coil, I guess in my case, you know, my coils were probably about maybe a half inch or so thick, um, yeah. and then kind of layering them up and up and up into a particular shape, um, into the shape that I, I created for this piece. That was, as a somebody who likes to do small things over and over again as a jeweler, it seems very meditative to be able to roll the coils and build them like that. Yeah, like it is. <laughs> it uh, definitely is. <laughs> um, I was not familiar with David Drake before I read your... Um, also, listeners, this is go in the current issue of American Craft Magazine, so you can read Ebitin Yefa's full description of the piece, um, statement, as well as um, the poem I'm about to read for you. Or do you have the poem memorized of course I don't have it on it i have it up <laughs> i'll read it i don't want to put you on yeah. spot i'm sorry um but it is i don't want to get it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i know exactly right you, now you know how i feel about names um i wonder where all my relation i wonder where is all my relation friendship to all and every nation, every nation. Yeah. um i did a lot of research once i read about your piece on david drake because there's also a piece in the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which I'm going to do a trip out to see. But nice. I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about Dave the Potter, and so thank you for bringing attention to this Potter. Can mm. you tell them about this poem and like how that connects to his work? Yeah, yeah. So David Drake, um, an enslaved Potter, in the 1800s. Um, I believe the piece specifically that I was looking at or inspired by was made in 1837. Um, in the Carolinas region, um, he he had actually learned. I guess it, it it wasn't, you know, naturally common for enslaved people to know how to um, read. Never you know, never mind, know how to compose um, um, poetry, um, but he had apparently learned how to read and to write um, because of his. Uh, I guess the spiritual exposure. I guess there had mm-hmm. been um, uh, sort of some some. I guess like a, a Protestant. Um, um, what is it they call it a, a revival if you will okay. um, in the area so he came to learn how to um, read and write uh, through, through 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 faith um, and you know as was common in the, in the period um, enslaved people would make you know utilitarian items for use in the households mm-hmm. um, where, where where they were enslaved or even potentially in, 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 in the community um, it would have probably been not common for an artist to, um, or a craftsperson, you know, a potter, to really think of their work as being a, a creative expression. Um, or actually, that, that, that isn't fair to say. I, I would say that there wouldn't have been much attention uh, given to the work of enslaved people as being um, a creative or unique expression yeah. of who they are as individuals considering their situation. Um, so it's unique that um, Dave, David Potter specifically not only thought of his work um, that way, um, but gave us a window into that understanding specifically through um, his poetry that he would actually inscribe um, on the on, on, on the pots themselves. And uh, for, for me, you know, I, f- I feel like we we're able to read his read into his work in a very specific way now that would have just been completely or entirely dismissed in his own time. You yeah. know, and 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 in the zone era, um, and that poem in, in the poem itself, you know, which is why I, I chose it as the inspiration for this piece, 
um, did really stand out to me for for a number of reasons. Um, should, should I should I dive into that? Please, <laughs> yes, I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When and Dave asked, you know, I wonder where um, is all my relation. He's he's more than likely talking about being separated um, from his family. Enslaved people were often divided. Um, you know, couples, you know, their their children, etc. Um, and and you know, you can only imagine just how traumatic. And painful and 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 um yeah just 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 really terrible um it would have been to to um develop you know this this love for these family members to have them around you um and then just completely out of your control to have them kind of taken from you and and sold um, um or just brought to brought to other places um so that as a reality for dave um, I, I i can't relate to because thankfully that that hasn't been um, my experience. I'm grateful that things have very much changed since 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 the time of um, you know enslaved people being sort of the, the norm here um, in 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 America. So I can't relate to Dave's experience in that way. I guess I'm thinking of um, Dave's perspective from the standpoint of being a person of the diaspora. So I was born in Nigeria. I've lived in the Caribbean. Um, actually, my first memories are from being in the Caribbean, and then I moved to the United States. Um, so I have relation, if you will, mm-hmm. um, as far as family members and descendants who are who are spread out, um, you know, within the area, if you will, of Nigeria. Um, and then, you know, um, my family members are also here now in the United States. Um, I guess I was, I, was, I was specifically thinking of the of the relation, the descendants of my mother and my father. Um, so my mother came from a polygamous um, household. So her father, my grandfather, had multiple wives. So she had many, probably like half brothers and sisters. Um, so it's a big household. Um, yeah. You know, one's wealth was associated or connected to having a lot of family members. Uh, so I think of the, I guess the the dispersion of my relatives in in that sense. There are people who are yeah. related to in Nigeria that I probably don't don't know. Um, but then I also think of my father's side um, of his family that he has not kept in touch with, um, that, that he never, um, you know, I would say connected my, myself or my siblings with. So there's more of a mystery um, mm-hmm. there and, and, specific, and you know, my, myself being his son and thinking um, about sort of how I'm connected to, you know, lineage and sort of, you know, cultural elements on his side. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a bit of, it's a bit of an unknown. It's, it's a big unknown. Yeah. It was a big unknown for me growing up. And it's something that I'm, you know, just slowly uncovering now, um, after my, after my father has, has passed. So, um, in thinking of, I wonder where is all my relations for me, it's not from the standpoint of, you know, having had my relations separated from me in this very traumatic experience, yeah. um, but really reflecting on what it means to be, um, a part of the diaspora and to have actual family members, um, that I've never met, never, never seen, um, yeah. and that I can only hope to someday connect with. Who can help you piece together parts of your identity that you're like, where did this come about me come from or et cetera? Um, our relation can tell us a lot. Of, I mean, I didn't know much of my father's side and then I got into metal smithing and I remember I reconnected with my father and he's like, I'm a blacksmith. Your grandfather was a blacksmith. And I was like, oh, <laughs> weird having no idea of my relation and what they did for a living. So um, I thought about that when I read about your work. Um, 
And so how do you think about the second line of David Drake's poem, Friendship to All and Every Nation, like in the context of when he was making this? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 harder. Um, well, on, on the surface, harder to imagine because you think to yourself, wow, this, you know, this this is this is a, it's a it's a tough and really painful thing to meditate on. Yeah. You know, starting from the first line, just losing um, connection to your relatives and your loved ones um, as a result of, um, you know, those who've enslaved you. And then, you know, just right on the heels of that, saying our oh, friendship to all and and and, and every nation. Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I wouldn't think at first that it's David dismissing um, the the injustice or the trauma that he may likely have been really navigating on a very emotional level in processing, you know, the the separation from 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 from, from those loved ones. Um, but for me, I kind of I, I really saw it um, here as here's somebody who um, is fully aware um, of his creative faculties and of that to be a positive window, a positive light. A blessing, if you will, um, to anybody who would look upon his work, to anybody who would read his poetry. Um, so there's something inherently hopeful um, in the in the in the act of making, you know, art. Um, I'd say art's purpose is never to shut down um, bonds, um, but to really build them, to to really celebrate um, the things that maybe in other contexts might 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 seem to separate. Um, people and I think David um, is is keenly aware of this, um, just in the just in the way I I get a sense of his personality um, and his creativity from 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 his work. Um, he has an incredibly optimistic spirit, maybe not optimistic in the sense um, of you know you know um, kind of considering or thinking about his social standing might change dramatically in the course of his life, um, or even optimistic in the sense of ever being reunited with the loved ones that he's lost. Um, but optimistic in the sense of believing that what he's saying, what he's creating, and what is what he's expressing, um, yeah. could have the power to to um, affect you know the people who are seeing the work at the time and the people who would come to see it, um, like myself and yourself and generations to come in in a meaningful way. So that that's how I read read this idea of friendship to all and every nation. Maybe not specifically in the context of his time and era, um, but in the context of the legacy that his work would have. Um, beyond his time and era. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I think about, cause he wrote on most of his jugs and a lot mm. of them, not all of them feel like poetry to me. Some just mm. feel like maybe sending mm. a message out or leaving something behind too. Um, so <laughs> I can't cool. help, but what are you going to say? Well, some are just kind of quirky. Yeah. You know, he seems like quirky. <laughs> also, when I was digging into him, I, he only had one leg. Yeah. at some point so he had somebody who they worked together to be able to like turn the wheel make the work. Yeah. yeah um yeah. he would have been a quirky quirky he would have like a quirky and a fun guy yeah fascinating <laughs> general, individual yeah. yeah with a lot of stories i'm sure yeah, uh, yeah leaving things behind like little time capsules so to speak yeah yeah um, but sorry, I interrupted you. I feel like you were going to say no, something. No, I mean, that was kind of where I was getting that. It was like, this guy was interesting and a bit of a character. Um, mm, 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 mm. Do you have any feeling of, so with your piece, um, have you thought about, are you kind of digging into the idea of like 
finding your relation and studying it? Like, is this piece a departure from your current body of work or is this kind of an ongoing thought with you? Yeah, I'd say this piece is a development of um, um, a series that I um, referenced earlier and started earlier um, and thinking of um, um, sort of like this as a portrait series. It's a piece that yeah, was inspired by thinking of and looking at face jugs and then took on a new meaning after my father had passed away. Um, really thinking of how I understand and discern um, my identity as a black, ma- black male in America um, on the backdrop of all of the killings that, you know, had been um, seen and um, all over our social consciousness, you know, over the past uh, few years. So thinking of what it means for me um, to be um, a Black man in America and how I understand that identity, recognizing that a big part of that has really um, been shaped by my relationship with my father as the, you know, the other, you know, Black male in my household <laughs> yeah. lived with for the longest time. And, and sort of coming to terms with that was a surprise to me. It's like I hadn't thought of that before, that, you know, the way I understand or sort of um, navigate masculinity and, and my cultural identity here in America is very much, whether I liked it or not, um, shaped by who he by who he was um, to, 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 to me. Um, my father was a really great storyteller, and I think his, um, his abilities, um, um, both as a storyteller, his interest in music and art, mm-hmm. um, as well as in culture, um, was what inspired me to be an artist as well as a, as well as a teacher. Um, so this, the act of imagining, the act of um, sort of opening myself up to um, uh, worlds or an understanding beyond what was just in front of me um, was a gift that he, that he very much, um, that, that, that he very much gave me. Um, and he, always, he also very much stressed the importance of family. Um, yeah. He stressed the importance of my siblings and I um, always being together, um, even after he and my mother um, divorced, um, he um, stressed the importance of himself being present, and he was always a very present figure um, in my in my life. Although I wouldn't say I was close to him um, yeah. for most of my life, he was he was he was somebody who was always there. And I'd say I got closer to him while I was in college um, because we would have he would call regularly, so we'd speak regularly and beyond, like oh, how's school going and how's the weather and what'd you have for dinner? We would just start to talk about we just start to talk about life. And I learned or realized very quickly that there's a lot about um, his ancestry and mine um, that he wasn't entirely forthcoming about, but he would he would let go of in little bits in Good stories insights. as we as we would talk. You know, mm-hmm. there was no sort of formal like this is everything, but yeah. we'd be talking about one thing, and then he'd share about this little nugget of his life that he had um, shared shared about um, the you know before. Um, so this. You know, I guess with this portrait series, I was both thinking about um, sort of na- navigating um, kind of like the, the way in which I was understanding my identity really through my father's eyes, um, but also kind of thinking of his identity and his ancestry um, by creating this um, uh, line of works uh, called Akanza. Akanza um, was my father's last name before he changed it um, when, he married, when he married my mother. Um, and so when I, you know, when I was invited to do this project and I was thinking of David uh, Drake's piece, The Nation Jar, um, it just seemed like a natural development of this idea of meditating on ancestry 
um, meditating on connection, meditating on how we understand identity um, to create the piece that I did. And the big difference is that instead of kind of focusing on either sort of my process, just my processing of this, or on the identity of like my father, I'm thinking of the identity um, and sort of the, the the collective of all of my relation, this idea of a family tree, um, which is something that, you know, for like for, for some people, it's very specific. They, they know. They have the t- family tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like generations ago, like my great uncle Earl, you know, mm-hmm. planted this cherry tree or whatever. And it's not there. Like, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty opaque for me. I mean, my dad did leave behind some records that I'm very grateful for. Oh, um, but I believe it's in part the opacity of understanding the the, the full scope of my relation um, that's that also drew me to, to to create this piece. At some point, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to ask him to define relation," but you just did that <laughs> um, in terms of how you think about it. Yeah. 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 Ebeten this has been wonderful to talk to you about that piece, and makes it. Having had this conversation, I can say that piece has come to life so much more for me now and understanding it mm. a bit more. Um, so thank you for that. And yeah. also thank you for introducing me to David Drake. It's when I was researching his pieces, of course, there's a lot of work to do and curators and museums have are striving to put pieces in their collection that fully represent the history of this country. And David Drake's work seems to be um, highly sought after right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been kind of wild to research that and see what's happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anybody's listening, check your museums um, Mm -hmm. to see if you can go see his work because the Philadelphia Museum of Art had a piece and I never knew. Um, So I'm going to go check that out. Yeah, yeah, the De Young Museum was probably my favorite museum um, while I was in the Bay Area. I would visit regularly mm-hmm. um, while I lived there for about two and a half years. I was um, an, a, a professor at the San Francisco um, Art Art Institute, and so when I had learned there and acquired one of one of one of his jars, I was just I'm, I'm so I'm looking forward to. I'll, I'll be in I'll be in the Bay Area. I'll be in Sacramento. Um, for Enseca, which is coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm going to try and, you know, kind of bounce over to the Bay Area for maybe a day um, or just a little bit. And it'd be great because I've, I haven't I've yet to see one of David Drake's um, um, pieces in person. Oh, it'd be yeah. great while I'm there to get to actually see um, uh, the the jar that they have in, 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 in their collection. But as you said, I would very much encourage you all if you're nearby a museum that has some of David Drake's um, work to go and check it out. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say to listeners before we wrap up our conversation? Well, you know, I just really want to thank you for, for moderating um, <laughs> this, 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 this discussion. I feel like there's always something new that comes out um, for, for me as I'm, you know, thinking through these ideas and getting to talk through these ideas because so often as artists, you know, we're, we're in our heads. And then even in, 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 in the context of um, this project where there's a written component and um, the, the, the piece that's, that's been put up um, in the, the, the craft magazine, um, it's great. Um, but I think having a conversation um, around the work always kind of connects the dots in a way that I find really formative um, and really inspiring as I head back into my studio. So I thank you um, for for that and and to you know just thanks to Andrew Blavelt for the invitation to this project 
um, and for his write-up as well um, in the in, in the magazine, just his thoughtfulness in in, in putting that uh, in putting that together. And um, yeah, I mean, this isn't as I noted earlier, this isn't just like a one piece kind of thing. I feel like it's really started a whole conversation in my studio that I'm looking forward to developing further. Um, so there will likely be more pieces um, in this line um, coming up. So I guess um, listeners can be posted on that. Yeah, stay tuned. And yes, everybody, please pick up a copy of the magazine and read the curators. Um, I'm sorry, curators. What would you call that? Statement? Statement. It's a statement. Yeah, wow. Statement. It, it's early. <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee as we're talking. <laughs> um, but please do, because there's a lot of wonderful things written in that magazine about these pieces. Um, and they're exciting to see all together as well. Yeah. All right, Evitenyefa, thank you so much. The Object As series is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown, of the Proceed Value Podcast, in collaboration with the American Craft Council and supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen and follow us on social media at Craft Council. This program and many like it are supported in part by our members. You can support future programs and the American Craft Council by becoming a member yourself. Go to craftcouncil.org join to learn more. Thank you for being a part of the conversations.